0: The I- cat Oh, hi. Kate Delaney. And this week on Invade the Man Cave, sponsored by Deal Your Own Destiny, my new book published by Forbes, a conversation with a defensive slayer who is in the Denver Broncos' ring of fame, Carl Mecklenburg. He played for the team from the mid-'80s to 1994. Check out some of his cool nicknames, the Snow Goose and the Albino Rhino. Also, R.J. Bell from Pregame.com, who appeared on an episode of The Rock's popular show, Ballers. He joins me to talk about the fate of Ohio State football coach, urban meyer right now he's on administrative leave first nicholas diagusta a very very busy actor he might have seen in gotham masters of sex the office or as west rosen on heroes he's got something hot and new cooking up on NBC. so pleased to be joined by nicholas diagusta He is in our virtual green room right now. I bet he can't believe the digs he's in. He's used to maybe a little bit better. You know this guy. You know him from all kinds of shows. Uh, Masters of Sex, NBC's Heroes. Boy, I was glued to that. Fox's Gotham. Right now he's in this great satirical comedy, Trial and Error. And he doesn't know this yet, but we have something in common about Nebraska. He's a native of Omaha and how many people have been to Omaha listening to this show. I hope a lot. Uh, He probably is a huge fan of the Cornhuskers. I'm certain of it. Nicholas, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. You, uh, You undersold yourself. That was a gorgeous virtual green room. I was very happy back there. I felt very comfortable. I took a nap. It
0: was very nice. <laughs> uh, we tried our best we we do whatever we can at the peacock network that's for sure so i have to ask you this obviously you're a huge sports fan and the nebraska Cornhuskers. huskers man i gotta tell you one of my one of my glory interviews i've interviewed fifteen thousand people nicholas and i'm sure this is going to be the best ever but i talked to tom osborne yeah. he is like the pope I'm honored of-
1: to be i'm honored to be one among them yeah i'm sorry sorry to interrupt you tom osborne of course
0: Yeah. He's like the Pope. Was he like, he's like the Pope in Nebraska, isn't he? Growing up, he would have to be that way for you. I mean, he,
1: he, you know, the thing is, Nebraskans take their Popes very seriously too. So I would say that he, he didn't quite reach that, but I mean, no joke. He uh, was an actual house. He was one of the representatives and Nebraska only has three representatives in the state. So uh, he did actually go into Congress representing Nebraska after he retired from his coaching days. So there is no doubt uh, the reverence for for Tom Osborne is is uh, deservedly so is is high and and a special relationship and he feels that special relationship in return uh, because he has played such an important part. He came back as the athletic director for a while and now um, and now you know there's a great deal of excitement and optimism and a sense of sort of relief about getting back to to his days as Scott Frost, his old quarterback, uh, has come back and started running the program. So, yeah, as a Husker fan, I'm a big fan.
0: (laughs) I like that. But if you're a Husker fan, and people know this listening to the show, you know, we move around. You're an actor. I'm assuming you definitely live at least part of the time in Los Angeles. So does that mean you transfer the Cornhuskers with you or the Trojans try to win your affections or perhaps the Bruins? I I look. I have a
1: lot of friends that are Trojan fans. I don't have any sort of animosity towards them as people, but I uh, I I'm I'm such a such a cornbread Husker fan. I mean, it's it's so hardcore that when you leave, I I imagine you understand this, and a lot of your fans understand this, but. When you leave a place that you love, and or you know that you is your identity and that you cared about growing up, it only deepens when you go somewhere else because it gives you a a connection. I would say that my my fanship for the Cornhuskers only got deeper when I moved to LA because it gave me it just gave me a sense of home that I kind of took with me. I, I would say fortunately, unfortunately for me, the Huskers scheduled both UCLA and USC in the years that I, as home and homes, in the years that I was living in L.A., and I got, you know, 15 buddies from home and my brothers and their friends to come out and watch the games, and we got slaughtered in both games. But it was still a really lovely experience, and what you do is you, you get to wear your home colors in your, you know, in your, in your new hometown because L.A. is kind of like my hometown now, but, but Nebraska is always going to be where my heart is.
0: Yep, yeah, I understand that. And, and it's the home of, for what people don't know, I use this sometimes when I do uh, trivia, but the home of runzas. I miss runzas. I got my first break in Nebraska and TV, and people don't know what a runza is, Nicholas. Can you explain it?
1: So, a runza, first of all, I want to hear that story, what your break was. And I also wanted to hear, like, give me an anecdote from your Tom Osborne interview, because that must have been amazing. But I, I, uh, uh, So a Runza is like a, I think they're kind of modeled after like German meat pockets. They're basically like, think of like a Hot Pocket, basically. Think of a Hot Pocket and it's ground beef with peppers and onions. But think of it as just, it's just better than a Hot Pocket. It's like, it's as wonderful as a Hot Pocket is in the sense that it's easy to eat and it's delicious inside. uh, But it's also just like better and it's, you know, it's... It's Nebraska-like. It's a Nebraska specialty. It is. And you it's and the you, cheese. It, yep. The and cheese. I will say, actually, that many people love the Runza cheeseburger more than your average fast food burger, even though the Runza itself is the reason that you go there.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's why it's all about the runs and no no question about that. So I wanna make sure that we get this in and, and talk about trial and error. Tell us about trial and error. Uh you know, give us the little pitch for it.
1: Oh yeah. Well so it's um I know that this sounds biased, which of course it is, and and it sounds like hyperbole, but the truth is is I really genuinely mean it when it's the um the best project I've ever been a part of. I genuinely think it's a, a truly special show. and and the reason is because it I think it kind of seamlessly blends a lot of different elements of television that we love. And so one of them is this idea that we have a true mockumentary uh, style comedy of uh, of a true of true crime genre. So the first season was based on a documentary murder series called, the staircase, which has has recently released a new episode, and it's become uh, it's had kind of a renaissance. About a Michael Peterson, who killed his wife, and that character is that show is satirized in our first season. That character is played by John Lithgow. And then in the second season, it's based on uh, or predominantly based on the documentary "The Jinx," which was the kind of horrifying story of Robert Durst and his you know dead his dead ex-wife and friend and, and etc and that character although it's a gender swap is going to be is, is played by kristen Chenoweth. and so the core of our show is a season-long arc where you have you have a new high pro- profile defendant and it the, the case begins and ends in each season and you get a new defendant every season there's a char- there's core characters like myself the attorney And then a few other characters that are really wonderful and hilarious, Stephen Boyer and Sherry Shepard and Jamie Mays. And we're always carrying the through line of the show along, but every year it's a new story. It's a new case. And it's like uh, it's like L.A. law or something meets, um, you know, a Mel Brooks movie or or airplane like it's really zany and silly and funny. And and yet there's a true murder case that is uh, that's being defended throughout the entire season. And
0: I, I, so interesting, too, the way you carry that over and you have to be thrilled working in that kind of environment. Right.
1: It's amazing. I mean, for me personally, it's it's such a beautiful experience to get to work alongside genuine legends, you know, both John go and. And uh, Kristen Chenoweth have, have won, both of them have won Tonys on Broadway, and both of them have won Emmys on television, and they're, they're a rare breed of truly gifted and multifaceted performers, and um, I have had the great joy of calling them friends, and we've been confidants as we work together as colleagues, and I, I have the great joy of getting to work with them very intimately because I in nearly every scene of the show. And so it's it's a real it's a real dream come true for me. It truly is.
0: I love it. Nicholas Diagusta, thank you so much for joining us. Kate, it
1: was an honor. Thank you for having me.
0: From Hollywood to Denver, the snow goose, Carl Mecklenburg, joins us. I love that name to talk about the controversial new helmet rule in the NFL, the Hall of Fame, and his well, legs and shorts. <laughs> Always a pleasure to bring Carl Mecklenburg on this show. Denver Bronco, great, no question about it. He's in the Bronco uh, ring of honor, and uh, he was an integral part of some really incredible Broncos teams in the 80s and played in six Pro Bowls. And gosh, he, in, in, I was looking at his stats even again the other day, um, the freak that I am, <laughs> crunching all my stats, and he has 79.5 sacks, the second highest total in Denver Bronco uh, history, and I think that really holds up. Hey, Carl, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Kate so um you and i had a chance to sit next to each other at a dinner at the national speakers associations uh influence which is their convention because you're a speaker too as well and we were talking about some of the new rules especially this you know this new helmet hitting rule as somebody who played in all positions defensively what do you think of the new helmet rule
2: well, I, th- I think uh, it was something that the NFL has to do from a, from a legal standpoint, but I, I really don't know how you can enforce it, and and I really don't understand um, understand how it's going to impact the game. It's my my guess is it's going to turn into. Uh, an advantage for smaller quicker people uh and and it's interesting cuz the game through the years I mean I was a 230 my, my weight limit was 238 and I and I played over the nose guard I played defensive tackle defensive end uh, I played all seven front positions so but I could do it at that weight because people were lighter at that point in the in the game and it was more about quickness and it may it may go back to that
0: yeah. And, you know, it, and of course, there's going to be adjustments on both sides of the ball with this. And here's the thing is the referees and how they're going to enforce it is going to be crazy because it does apply across the board. So tacklers, linemen, ball carriers, everybody. And I think that's where it's going to get dicey. They even talk about ejection. And I think we're, we're going to see we're going to see some problems. It's going to be hard for the referees, especially, don't you think?
2: I do, and I think it's going to be hard to watch uh, from a fan standpoint mm. because there'll be plays that aren't called, and there'll be plays that are called, and it'll seem like they're jipping your team. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, it just it, it can't be helped. The more the refs are involved, the, the less it, the players are involved. And, and, it, and it's and it's sad to see that, uh, that uh, the challenges that have gone on in the last few years with the catch rule and, I mean, all these just uh, – they want to. They, they want to have the refs make the decisions on the field, but then they want to oversee them from New York, and they want to have the video. and the, It's a slow enough game anyway. <laughs> it's just I, I can't. I can't see it helping the game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I said in the beginning, and and really, this is true, Carl. I like the thing I like about sports, and you know this because you count. Any guy who's a, a, a an athlete does it. You count sacks, you count plays you make. Uh, and I mentioned the the amount of sacks you had, which was incredible. When we look at the criteria for the Hall of Fame, you're in the Broncos. You know, ring of honor. I think there's not enough attention given to stats like yours, especially for what you just said for people listening. You played all seven front positions. And I think guys like you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. How do you feel well, stats, about what?
2: That's Yeah, stats are the problem. Uh, if, if you play one position, you build up lots of stats in that area. Uh, if I played defensive end my whole career, I'd have had. 100 sacks. Yeah, but I was I was dropping off in pass coverage. I was I was uh, you know playing inside linebacker. Actually, the the Pro Bowls I made I made as an inside linebacker. Um, so you know it it was uh, it was a great opportunity and 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 such a such a unbelievable uh, example of leadership that Joe Collier. Uh, looking, looking at, at his team, trying to figure out how to how to make us better, and and saw some things in me that allowed him to take advantage of my skill set and put me in a position to to, to make plays and and change games. Um, but because he was so innovative, uh, people don't know how to how to look at me. They don't they don't know what position I played. They, they they you know if they count me as an inside linebacker, I had I had more sacks than any inside linebacker ever for you know. Double. <laughs> but, right. But that's not what, I, you know, I, I did all kinds of things. And so it was a, it's a, it's a weird, I'm sure it's a, it's a difficult thing for the, for the voters uh, when they, when they want to look at stats because my stats don't match up.
0: Right. So, so the stats are there for the one spot, but like you said, you have the seven different front positions because of the innovative way that, uh, of who you were playing under and Collier and what he, what he did, which was great in a sense. But then because of the way, I guess things are talked about, and I I know some people that have Hall of Fame votes, and we always argue about this and talk about what do you look at, and you just saw what happened with T.O. complaining that after, you know, it took three times for him to get in, but what he specifically was saying was that he didn't like the system and, and how they try to figure out who gets in with the 48 votes, etc. Do you think that should be tweaked with the writers?
2: You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I, the the system is the system. Um, it's, it's a great honor and, and I'm happy for the guys that are in and the guys that, that have gotten in. Uh, it's when, when you're in Denver and, and the first, uh, the first defensive player to, to play in Denver, um, and he didn't even play his whole career. He didn't play most of his career there. It was Dawkins that just went in this year. There, there's yeah. no other defensive players from the Denver Broncos, and we have such a great history of, of, of wonderful defensive players. And, and that, that confuses me. Um, you got guys going into the Hall of Fame whose teams never made a playoff game. Uh, you got guys going into the pro, you know, just base totally on stats you got you got guys uh who uh you know played in a you know bunch of super bowls and and unbelievable uh records in in, in the playoffs who, who don't make it in and and is it an individual thing is it a team thing is it a you know is it a longevity thing because a lot of the stats are based on longevity i mean it, it, truthfully if you can if you can survive long enough um you're going to get some stats
0: yeah, there. Yeah, like you said, if you can survive long enough, yeah. And did you ever, Carl? Did you ever think? And we're speaking with Carl Mecklenburg, great Denver Bronco. Uh, boy, when he played, just just amazing. Number seventy-seven. You know, you you got drafted in the twelfth round, the three hundred and tenth pick. What was that like for you when you when you got picked? Were you just beyond excited?
2: I was asleep <laughs> it, was the, it was the second day um my girlfriend my, she's my wife now, but my girlfriend had come over, and she was we were gonna celebrate we were excited and stuff and it, and eventually uh it was' a no <laughs> we're just going to bed. because my my agent had said that. As soon as the draft was over, you know there was going to be phone calls, and there was a number of teams that were interested in me as a as a free agent if if they didn't draft me. And so it was one of those deals where you know I was just like uh, I'm going to go to bed, and whatever happens happens. And I was so fortunate to end up here uh, as a 310th pick of the draft. Uh, you have to land in the right situation. You have to be in a situation where they're they're looking at the skill sets of the guys on the football field, not not what round they're they're drafted in uh, and and allow the coaches to make the decisions on who makes the team and who doesn't. And truthfully uh, in today's uh, training camp, I don't know how I would have been able to prove myself. They're, they're not playing football. They're—I don't know what it is, but it's—they're it's, they're running around and they're—they're they're, they're never hitting each other. It's—it's <laughs> it's so different from what what we did. What we did was uh, full contact twice a day for five weeks. And and if you could play football, they'd find out. Uh, if you look good in shorts now, they they find that out. But they <laughs> they don't find out where the <laughs> and I don't look good in shorts, Kate. <laughs> so, <laughs> So I don't know if I'd have made it.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that! I love that. So as a and like you said, you ran, you landed in the right spot, and you know there you are in in Denver. And I know people recognize you and wave to you and talk to you all the time, which is great because you you stayed there. You've got your family, and you're in right Littleton, Colorado now, right?
2: Well, actually, I'm in Aurora. We moved last year, Aurora. but yeah I've, yeah, I've been in I've been in Colorado since 1983 when when i was the 310th pick of the draft and uh we had 13 rookies make it that year I mean, that was wow. a, that was an amazing amazing group and core of of players uh they switched me to linebacker in uh 1985 uh we made the super bowl in 86 87 89 um and had playoff teams all you know through i think we had three losing seasons in the 12 years i played um so it was uh it was a fun time and, and, and coming up with that group of guys and th- there was already a core of players from the 77 Super Bowl um the, the Orange Crush guys uh Randy Gratishire Tom Jackson yeah. Louis Wright that that bunch of guys uh, w- was were at the end of their career and, and we came in and they they mentored us and and, and we continued that that great play here in Denver
0: yeah, wow. Hey, last one, i got to ask you this, Carl. I'd be remiss. I know, you. obviously, like you said, you're in Aurora. You keep up with the Broncos. You care what happens with the Broncos. Last year, a tough year for Vance, Joseph, and the crew there. This is uh, another year. So the Broncos, what do they have to do to uh, up the ante?
2: Well, there's a number of things. Any time you... Uh... You lose as many games as they lost. Um, things have to change, and and, and they brought in some. I, I'm I'm excited about the the new quarterback. They brought in Case Keenum from the Vikings, a uh, guy that Gary Kubiak worked with extensively down in Houston. So he he knows Case and understands what he's capable of. Um, so so having that solid. This is our quarterback from from day one. I think is going to help the team as much as anything. Uh, from a defensive standpoint, they've lost a few guys and they've added a few guys, and, and they're going to have to come together and 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 uh, you know gather under uh, under that uh, legacy of Orange Crush defense and get back to the way they were playing a few years ago. And they, this is a this is a team that that i'd look out for if i was uh in the afc west cuz it's a, it's a team that's hungry and and last year i don't i didn't feel that way i think they were they were kind of searching and and this year if you if you hear them on interviews if you go down and watch them at practice they're 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 hungry they're they're ready to go
0: All right, so we'll see what happens with the Broncos. Ready to go. They're hungry. I love it. Carl Mecklenburg, I want to see you in shorts eventually because now I have that image in my head.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not not a pretty sight. I'm not the the workout uh, guy that's going to come in and wow you from uh, height, weight, and 40 time. But I I can hit you. And that used to be the name of the game.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Carl, thanks so much. Thanks, Kate. Over the years, I've had many conversations with RJ Bell from pregame.com. Our paths almost crossed when we both lived in Las Vegas. Ooh, Can you imagine? We would have had a lot of burgers at In-N-Out. That place is awesome. My favorite burger joint in Vegas. He has a huge reputation as being one of the best to understanding the odds, the lines, and the ebb and flow of sports. Our focus this time around is embattled Buckeye coach Urban Meyer. Joining us now from Sin City, R.J. Bell, founder of com. He joins us each and every week. What are the odds? We always talk about it. And uh, what are the odds that we'd be talking about Urban Meyer in this situation where A lot of people are calling for his head. Others are saying it's ridiculous. But bottom line is, what happens if he gets booted? Does it move the line at all as far as the Buckeyes are concerned with their chances for winning a national title? And college football means big betting. RJ, thanks so much for popping on, as always.
3: So, Kate, I'm interested, before we get into the Vegas perspective, what your talk radio take is on... Urban Meyer.
0: Um, My talk radio take is it's interesting because I've got I think this is the most email I've gotten before a college football season purely about what should happen with a coach. And I did, you know, put some bait on the hook and threw it out there to see. My take is I think he I think he'll get fired because of taking back the story and how he handled the big 10 day I really believe that Ohio State if they're pushed too far into that corner that he'll he'll go and I mean he's on administrative leave they could slide out of it. I think what he did was he made a big mistake RJ when he tackled that question and was off balance and didn't know. I think he was just caught by surprise and he's used to let's I'm gonna be real honest about this. He's used to softball questions at a Big Ten day. It's about players and procedures and who what's gonna to happen to the coaching, et cetera, and and schedule, strength of schedule and that kind of thing. Not about Zach Smith. He wasn't expecting that and he didn't handle it well and it could cost him his job.
3: Yeah, and, and again, I think my main takeaway is we really don't know the whole story yet and even from our thoughts or informed opinions the first six hours versus a day later a day after that so until that starts to end where there's so much new information i think everything's got to be said with uh you know given the givens now you know and then go ahead and say your your take um you know it just seems like a high bar that you, you lie to the press and obviously in a perfect world, you don't lie ever. Right. Yeah. But you lie to the press. If, if that's it now we can all debate. Well, should he, that guy, should the coach have kept his job? Well, that's a different conversation, right? The lying to the press is, Hey, you're asking me a question. I don't want to talk about this. Uh, and I think that's a demerit. But boy, if it ends up that he reported it up the chain and pretty much and personally said, if this happens, you know, in any uh, clear way, uh, you're fired. And again, we could say, well, wasn't it clear before? Well, if it was, where's the police? And I'm not saying I know every element of this because I don't, even though I've read a lot of the stories. But my my question is, if the police, if it wasn't something the police proceeded with, then, boy, that seems like a slippery slope. You fire someone for something the police say there's no action with.
0: Yeah, but remember, in, in his contract, it says that there's lots of ways that they can fire him for certain things that are said. I think you're absolutely right. He, I think he did push it up the chain. But remember, um, Joe Pa, remember what happened at Penn State? I'm saying, I pushed that up the chain. Now, granted, it was... Unbelievable! The the widespread, um, horrible net the abuse of Jerry Sandusky, but that's what was so incredulous to to um, Joe Paterno that he thought he had done the right thing that he had talked to the powers that be, and then how did he end up in this situation? And I think that's the same thing with Urban Meyer. He doesn't understand the power. You said it of media and the coverage, and and also the way the world works now and how everything is, boom, instantaneously out there, and people can dispute what you said, and they clearly had him saying one thing and then saying something else, and that's why he came back with that. So it's going to be wild to follow this, and it does set a precedent, like you said, in a way, for what could happen with other coaches.
3: And I agree with you in that I think that I'm sure the contract is written in a way... Uh, that any any contract with two, uh, let's say, well-attorneyed sides are, is going to create a situation that either side can do what they want and the other side is going to have to fight it in court. So I, I don't have a doubt that Ohio State could fire him. The question is, if the, if the question is, should they, boy, it seems like if someone, and, and again, let's assume this is the case because I can only go by what I'm reading, but if somebody... Uh, reports everything he's supposed to report. And from there, once it becomes public, he's held accountable as if he should have been the judge jury and, Mm. and, you know, decide on the punishment boy, that, that can go the other way too, right? Where all of a sudden coaches are making decisions that seem unfair. So I, to me, it seems like there's, and, and again, I'm not a politician. But, boy, it seems like for certain things, things that have a potential for uh, victims, right, where there's someone who uh, doesn't have the power to fight back. So, obviously, children, uh, you know, women, whoever doesn't have the power to fight back, if it's a state institution like this, it seems like anytime there's a report of something, there should be a, a, a board that's already set to look at it where there's not just one AD or one coach. But there's, you know, five or seven people sitting on that board that once a month they meet, they look at the details of this report and decide, should this person be around kids or whomever they're around that, that need protected? And think of how it would have went in this case. Okay. Urban Meyer found out. However, he did. He reports up soon enough. There's a, a board meeting. They make a decision. Should this guy stay or not? And either way, it's transparent. Now, maybe even though not transparent where the public knows about the board meeting, because to some degree, the act of being judged hurts a person to start with. Maybe it is private, but at least there's records of multiple people on the record making a decision. Boy, that seems a lot better than this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. So then when we look at it from the Vegas perspective, strictly with numbers, what happens?
3: Well, let's break down what value a coach brings, a superior coach brings to a team. I think there's three big categories. One is recruiting. Two is game preparation. And three is in-game decision-making. And really the, the recruiting side for this year is a non-factor. And I think with Urban Meyer, where recruiting is one of his true differentiators, you can make the case half of his value isn't going to be lost because he's already recruited for this year. So leaving the other half, probably about two points per game, a downgrade without him if he's not coaching. Add in an additional point per game, a downgrade because of the distraction. And quite frankly, that's the case if he stays or goes, that extra point. So if he goes about three points, if he doesn't go one point, let's assume the three points a downgrade. Ohio State still downgraded three points the sixth best team in the country uh, and with Urban Meyer and without the downgrade third best team in the country. So yes, a downgrade for sure, but Buckeyes are amongst the best teams even without Urban Meyer.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Wow. All right. So we're going to eyeball this. We'll see when we look at the points and what that happens and you're right. You know, you've got to analyze When you look at points, how much does a coach mean? It's like we do with players. You and I have talked about that for a long time over the years when we talk about odds, especially at the pro level. That's uh, for certain. No question about that. So I want to jump to this quickly. We've got the NFL training camps in full swing, I'll call it. And, you know, you look at the odds, and you sent me something interesting, NFL injuries. You sent me the key, basically, to the injuries, and I thought that was fascinating. I hadn't done that myself where I had a spread on that. And, you know, you talk about that the injuries tend to even out over the years, because I always thought it was interesting when I interviewed coaches. They never tried to make injuries an excuse because all teams have them, right?
3: Yeah, and I think more teams, or some teams have more or less in a given year yeah, and you know what I did on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. And actually, I don't know if you saw it, Kate, but we have, or we retweeted a video of a race guy who had the daily double. It's a minute 10. If you don't fully understand gambling and the mind of a gambler, (laughs) this video is the best minute 10 Mm. you're ever going to spend because it just zeroes in on one guy watching a race and all the things he says and screaming and cussing. And it's really great. It's one of my most recent tweets. It has, uh, a, <laughs> it has like 400,000 views. It, this thing has really gotten popular. But one of the tweets before we sent out and said the eight most injured teams, giants, Colts, Baltimore, Arizona, Houston, Miami, Chicago, Washington last year, only the Ravens had a winning record. So it's pretty fair to say if you're injured more than average, you do not have a winning record unless you get very lucky. And only one of the eight did. Now let's flip it. In theory, the least injured team should have a winning record. Well, if you look at the nine healthiest teams, least injured, eight of them had a winning record. Rams, Atlanta, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Dallas, Jacksonville, Carolina, Oakland, Buffalo, only team that didn't Oakland. So you could make the case. Wow. With Oakland, they lost their quarterback for a big chunk of the year. So, boy, every injury is counted equal in these as in a game loss. But, boy, losing a top 10 quarterback is even more valuable. So, wow. Think about it. If injuries are luck and, and, and they so affect the results like this, boy, when you watch a season, you better keep an eye on how injured a team is.
0: Yeah, no kidding. R.J. Bell, we could talk all day long, founder of Pregame.com. Check him out. Twitter, like he said, check out that big moment at R.J. in Vegas. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, Kate. So as we wrap up, in case you missed the question I posed last time around, whether nachos were out as a game day food, here's what everybody said. In fact, 2,500 of you, thanks for that, who weighed in. You said, well, no. 80% said no way and went a step further and said they're better loaded with extra jalapenos. Invade the Man Cave is sponsored by Deal Your Own Destiny. Available right now for pre-sale only on KateDelaneySpeaker.com. Again, a special offer only on KateDelaneySpeaker.com. Talk to you next time on Invade the Man Cave.